One thing I can't get enough of as a people leader is feedback. Do you love feedback as much as I do? If so, please consider writing a review of All Hands and rate us wherever you listen. I am a huge believer and fan of accountability, and there's no walking back. A report on the state of anti-racism with data, we're in the hot seat now, and that's what I wanted. I wanted us to not be able to pull back later when we got, you know, maybe more scared or things got more challenging. Welcome back to season two of All Hands, brought to you by Lattice. I'm your host, Caitlin Holloway. If you were with us last season, you know we focused on sitting down with C-level execs to chat about how people strategy is good business strategy. But this season, we're doubling down. We're not only talking to CEOs and founders, but a wide range of people leaders, from heads of people to chief diversity and inclusion officers, to really get into some of their core practices, principles, and beliefs when it comes to putting your people first. Joining us on the show today are two phenomenal executives from the Upwork team, the world's largest work marketplace connecting millions of businesses with independent talent around the globe. I'll start first by introducing Dr. Aaron L. Thomas. Aaron is the head of diversity, inclusion, belonging, and access at Upwork. She brings a distinctive mix of research and practitioner expertise to her roles, which aim to integrate equity as a front-end input to people processes. In 2020, Erin was named to Fortune's 40 Under 40 list as one of the most influential people in technology. With a deeply academic background, Erin holds several advanced degrees, including a PhD in social psychology from Yale University. More importantly, she sits atop my personal must-follow Twitter user list. Also on the show with us today, we have Zoe Hart. Leading Upwork's HR and talent innovation teams, Zoe has guided the company's employee growth by more than 75% from startup through IPO. In her role as chief people officer, she implements innovative management approaches and focuses on building a mission-driven culture for Upwork's team of employees, as well as their global network of freelancers. Zoe's commitment to creating a thriving culture has resulted in employee engagement scores that have well exceeded industry benchmarks for 12 consecutive quarters. Erin and Zoe, welcome to All Hands. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us. I am absolutely downright (laughs) giddy to be having this conversation with the both of you today. So thank you so much for joining us. Zoe, let's start with you. I would love to have a little bit of your background. So you've been with Upwork now for a long time, and you've seen the company through a ton of different seasons. Can you share a little bit more about your story? How did you actually get into HR? Yeah, for for me, I fell into HR somewhat accidentally. Um, I meant to be a professor, um, technically still on leave in between my master's and my PhD program, although it's been a long <laughs> absence. Uh, I was a broke grad student back in England who came back to the U.S. to keep my green card alive and got a temp job at Yahoo as a staffing assistant and ended up being there for a decade and moving into the business partner role and having experience uh, leading part of their international customer service organization, which was foundational for me. And then I was at a company called Rovi for four years. And then I joined Odesk, which went through many transformations to be Upwork. Um, in 2013 as their first full-time HR person. And I've been fortunate enough to grow with a company in those eight years since. That's amazing. I love this story. Now, 
I'm going to follow up with a quick question before we uh, head over to get Aaron's uh, backstory. This is a question we've been asking new on this season, and I, I really like it because it helps give a little bit of extra context and color to, to the conversation as, as it evolves. And that question is, is there anything else you would like our audience to know about your identity? Wow, that's a great question. I'm a parent and somebody who's really committed to authenticity at work um, and just trying to be present. That's excellent. That's excellent context. Let's head over to you, Erin. You've been with a company now for, for about two years in a really, really critical role at a very, very interesting time. And I'm very curious, uh, how has your academic work ultimately led you to working in a DEI role? Yeah, it's, it's a huge foundation. You know, spent a decade in higher ed conducting research on and, and teaching undergrad, grad, MBA courses on identity and bias and effective teaming. And that's, that's what I do. That's what I do uh, for a living. And what I found to be really pivotal is, is two things. And, and Zoe, <laughs> keep me honest and let me know if this is what you see as well. But one is like really getting to the root of what's going on. And that is what many, many years of basic research uh, has afforded me in terms of, you know, digging into systems and really excavating so that we are solving for not symptoms, but again, causes. And then the other piece of that is definitely just the empirical foundation that I have. So I approach problems scientifically. I have a really strong stats background and I love to just get incredibly dirty in data. And so those are two pieces of my education and training that I use every single day. And, And sometimes I actually have to turn it off a bit so I can just be like a normal person and like be a like good colleague because um, I can spend all day in a spreadsheet. But um, sometimes you have to get back out into the business and, and talk with people and affect change. I, I love that. And it, it makes a ton of sense. I, I think that we're going to see a trend uh, in that direction because having that background is incredibly powerful on a people team and and in other functions and roles. And so I think having that that insight is really, really helpful and additive to the business. Now, Erin, I'm going to follow up with the same question that I just asked Zoe, which is before we get into the, the larger conversation here, is there anything you would like our audience to know about your identity? Yeah, this is something I don't share as publicly, but I do for sure within Upwork, which is being a mom is a really core aspect of my identity. And I think, especially over the past year and a half with two small boys at home, no childcare, uh, it has it has really proven to be, I would say an accelerator um, in my role and in my personal growth. Um, obviously, you know, being a people person, being a DEI person requires a lot of different skills, uh, a lot of them soft, if you will, um, and social. And my kids really ch- challenge me on that and make me obviously much more patient than I am naturally predisposed to. And um, also challenge me on making sure that my work is accessible. They ask really progressive questions that I was not asking until I was in college and they're three and five. And it, it challenges me to like break <laughs> things down in bite-sized pieces. And I use those skills back at work. And it's really cool to kind of feel more integrated than I ever have between kind of work and the rest of my life. I, I feel that one in my bones. I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old and uh, have had zero child care since March of last year as well. So I, I feel you. Thank you both for your backgrounds and, and sharing a little bit more about yourselves. I would now like to ask uh, the question of uh, 
the story of the two of you. So working together, of course, the way I understand it, Zoe, is that you were actually a, a pretty big driving force behind the the, the creation of this role that, that Aaron has, has stepped into. I would love to know from you, what was kind of the decision-making process behind here? Why did Upwork decide to bring on a head of DEI? You know, for us, we're a mission-driven company, right? Our mission is to create economic opportunities so people have better lives. And so the work that we do and how we do it matters a lot more than at other companies I've been in the past. At the end of 2015, beginning of 2016 and kickoff, we drew a line in the sand. And so we're going to make diversity and inclusion a strategic advantage for our company. And we did a lot of good work, I think, uh, put in some foundational efforts. And then 2018, 2019 became really clear that we had made good progress, but we just knew there was a lot we didn't know. And I think there was a huge amount of value in recognizing when an expert will really elevate and challenge the work that you're doing. And so we were um, heavily supported by the executive team to create this role and interviewed many wonderful people. I have to say, like, we were really taken with just the, the caliber of candidates out there doing this work as business drivers. But it was really clear from the moment we met Erin that we were going to do everything we could to convince her to come and join us. A question that I hear over and over again in the HR community is something to the effect of, what is a successful partnership between a head of HR and a head of DEI look like? And and you two certainly seem to have figured something really special out uh, between the two of you and within the organization. So can you share a little bit about how you best partner within the business? And I'll, I'll let either one of you take that. I'll start. I mean, I think, first of all, our relationship has evolved over the past 18 months, you know. Something that we reflect on a fair amount is the fact that what really helped me wrap my arms around where Upwork was and just what my role would be as our first head of dibs, um, as we call it, was Zoe and her management style, which is something we talked a lot about as I was being assessed for the role because I it has to be a good kind of chemistry fit, right? And Absolutely. yeah, I certainly am not one to be... <laughs> micromanaged. I need the resources I need. I, you know, I know what I'm doing, but I also know what I'm not doing and her ability to fill in what I know I'm missing and also help me see the things that maybe I don't know I'm missing, but let me run with what I do and do it well. That's not always easy to find in any sort of leader. And so, you know, I think that just in terms of working styles and working compatibility has been essential. I'll say as we accelerate into even more hypergrowth as a company, I think the way the relationship has evolved is hearing more from Zoe about where the business is going and, you know, getting better acquainted with our very complex organization, um, not just from the people perspective, but, you know, obviously just becoming more enterprise minded when it comes to what actually you know, keeps us in business and, and, and what's keeping other leaders up at night and having her bird's eye view, obviously from the C-suite, um, not just around the current state, but the direction in which we're running so that I can adequately plan and pivot and adjust right. and shore up, um, especially our, you know, disenfranchised populations and just make sure that I am not being reactive, but really, really proactive and forecasting and, and getting in front of things before their problems. So, you know, I think it comes back to like 
we're two people and we needed to, you know, fit in ways that met business needs. And there's no substitute for that. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I I echo what Aaron said. I think from the get-go during the interviewing process, we were both really frank about like, look, here's what, you know, here's what Upwork has, here's what we don't have. And there's a bunch of stuff that I don't even know we don't have, that you should come in and tell us that we don't have. Right. And having conversations about what are our lives like? What matters to you? Who are you as a person? Um, Because I think the other part of this work is, yes, you know, the HR team at Upwork is a business team, right? We're not a receiver, we're a driver. And that's really important. And the work that HR does is often holding some of the most tender pieces of the organization and protecting that and driving results, but still knowing these things. And nowhere is that more evident than in the dib space. And so it was important to me to understand how are we going to balance that? What does that look like? How do we how do we create space for Aaron to be a driver, but also somebody who is creating a team and a relationship for herself with work where there is space and protection around that? I think the other thing to Aaron's point about us getting to know each other better since we've you know since we met, obviously, is there's you know a buildup of trust is in any relationship, and one of the things that I deeply appreciate is. Aaron is one of the first people on my team to give me feedback and and authentically and challenge me and make me a better leader. And that's really important to me. And so I think we've we've built a lot of collaboration there too. Yeah, I'll say that Zoe planted seeds for that during the hiring process. You know, I it's not my first rodeo as uh, a head of DEI and, you know, each position I've had, I've obviously learned things that I take with me into the next role. And what stood out to me when Zoe was, was interviewing me and we were having conversations was she asked me questions, not just about the position and like org structure and, you know, sort of how to map mm-hmm. the relationship, but about me as a person and what I personally yeah. do to manage the platform that I have in my roles and to balance things for myself. And so, you know, just putting that front and center in the hiring process, I think really started to build a trust and rapport very early on. It's part of what made me accept the role is because it was really clear she cared about me as a person. Um, So it was a really awesome foundation to start from. I love that. I think that that's a really important thing to tease out for our audience here is, is having a personal commitment when you enter the the recruiting phase, this isn't just about does this person you know tick the boxes from from the the skill set and the the role requirements, but really, especially in these roles, Zoe, I love that you call part of this work tender and protecting that because there there is so much about strategy and there is so much and and the the world of of human resources has evolved so much and and it just went into hyperdrive in this last year. And so to recognize that it is so multifaceted um, in the work that we're doing, it's also multifaceted in the human aspect and the connection that we need to build and that trust and rapport that we need to build in order to challenge ourselves. But I am very curious, what made you really excited about this role, this company, the opportunity to work with Zoe and the rest of the uh, leadership team? What was it that was super appealing to you that you could say, hey, yeah, this is this is right for me in this next chapter? Sure. Well, I'll say it's the only role I applied for. So that that already sets the stage. Oh. Um, and there were a few things that that stood out right away. One, as, as Zoe already you know alluded to, uh, is the fact that we are a mission-driven 
company and equity is basically our mission. And so that as a practitioner is so dreamy because certainly I've consulted for and been in orgs where I could I can kind of make the value prop and, and bring it alive. I, I didn't want to basically waste time doing that in this chapter of my career. And I, yeah. I really haven't had to. And so that was really refreshing. Another thing, and you mentioned this, is our leadership team. As I had more conversations, as I Googled them and saw the involvement they had in different organizations, again, committed to equity globally, I got excited about some of the signals that I was seeing. I think the third thing is once I you know, started to actually meet people was, I mean, to this word tender, we're a very whole and open-hearted company. And, you know, I've done this work in federal government. I've done this work in professional services. I've done this work consulting for a variety of companies across industries. That's not a given. And so, you know, being right. in an org that like cares about people, where people care about each other, where we can appeal to hearts and, you know, leverage that internal motivation to affect change. Like that's a really cool entry point that you don't always get. And I was really excited to, um, you know, you said it before, have some of these more vulnerable and, and personal conversations to engage our workforce even further um, in service of our mission. And I think the last thing, and Zoe said this already as well, is that the company had already been doing the work. Um, it wasn't packaged as diversity work, but I wasn't coming in right. fresh. I wasn't building like I had in the past. I wanted to start at second base and, uh, you know, do things that I'd always dreamed of and hadn't seen before. And Upwork creates sort of a playground for people work because, you know, a lot of the things that would be kind of privileges in other companies, I feel like are just basics and foundations and rights here. And so thinking about, again, what would be game changing? How can we dream about things that we've never seen has been so fun and so exciting um, so all of those just made it the perfect combination, really magic ingredients uh, that I just never seen all together in one organization. I love this. And I'm going to do a special uh, kind of call out for our audience here who are founders or CEOs or executive leaders within their organizations. There is a massive shortage of incredible uh, people leaders out in this world. And, and to get the very, very best folks on your team provide exactly what Aaron just outlined. Don't make us come in and try to convince you that this work is important. Lay that foundation of come in and just do your very best work. Let's talk about the actual work that you all are doing. Upwork is an incredibly unique business uh, in, in not just what you are doing, but how you are impacting the world of work. Something that's very, very important for people practitioners in, in any role um, and actually, to be frank, any executive role, which is how do you measure success? And this is something that I think that a lot of, uh, you know, very strategic minded uh, executives or as they're considering bringing on a DEI role or they're they're considering how to integrate DEI programming into their their work. What is success? How do we measure success? And this is a very challenging question that I'm sure Aaron <laughs> you have a great answer for given your, your background. Man, my brain was just spinning. So I was like, let me think of all the hundred uh, data points that I look at every week. Um, but let me, let me <laughs> literally, but let me pare it down. You know, I, I think one thing that excited me when I was interviewing was there was one particular data point that 
we were talking about throughout the interview process. Um, again, Upwork had already done the work of turning over employee and talent data to understand where the biggest pain points were and areas of opportunity. And so that was a retention metric. Um, and it, in particular, our Black employees were turning over more than we would expect and would want compared to the representation in our workforce. Right. And so um, kind of scaling out from that, certainly average tenure and attrition uh, within populations is a really key metric and something I obsess over. And it's it's noisy, right? Like you can't pinpoint the one yeah. thing that makes people or people from certain groups leave, um, but kind of starting there and then doing some of that investigative work that we've talked about in terms of engagement scores and qualitative interviews and really sussing out what are the key factors that maybe aren't unique to certain populations, but are disproportionately affecting them has been, you know, a lot of the sort of constellation of data that we look at. And of course, there's other data too. I mean, overall diversity, right? Like what is the just mosaic of our workforce and does it represent the places in which we hire? Uh, Is it balanced? So do the LGBT plus folks tend to sit in one part of your organization versus others? Why, why would that be? And just really getting granular so that at the end of the day, you know, I think the ultimate goal is that your data story uh, really shows that you've got, again, a really balanced and well-distributed diversity of people across groups and teams and that they're enabled to do their best work, which you measure through those engagement surveys, through the COVID surveys that you're putting out, through you know all the right. channels where you're getting more to the day-to-day texture of what people experience when they open up the laptop. Oh, so, so you're telling me that you're not just measuring your diversity hires? We are not just measuring <laughs> hires who add, you know, add to our diversity because that makes no sense. And, and often, right, in fact, and in, in true to our story, if you've got a hiring issue, it's usually more a retention issue in the first place. So really looking at each stage of that team member experience and, and seeing where, you know, you're going to get the most bang for your buck if you're going to focus what I think is the scarcest resource, which is time and attention. Like, I think this work is actually, I actually don't think it's that complicated. I think we get really distracted. I think we get really distracted or we get really fatigued, but that's a different, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, sort of barrier than it being really hard or expensive in dollars. To be clear, I was asking that question tongue in cheek uh, because I think that that is one of the most rudimentary, simplistic views into, oh, we hire a a head of DEI. They are responsible for one metric, OKR, KPI, and that is, are they improving the diversity of our team? It becomes a a recruiting uh, metric full stop. Well, and what's so exciting to that point is in summer of 2020, I took on an additional role. And so now I oversee both our, again, dibs as we call it, our DEI and our talent acquisition teams. And so all roads point to me, which makes it really great to have that holistic picture and say, well, cool, cool, cool. We've doubled leaders of color, uh, mostly through hiring because we are growing our teams aggressively, but also what are we doing to keep them and grow them? And so there's just like no getting away from, we've got to look at the whole picture. This is complex. It is human. Um, and it really is integrated into every single aspect of the business. This is not one person's responsibility. This is not one team's responsibility. And so 
Zoe, I, I will ask the question then to you. Um, you know, as the chief people officer, you're sitting uh, in a room, and my assumption is is that the these goals and these success metrics have translated into the entire organization. Yep. And the reason I make that assumption is because what y'all are doing is working. And I know for a fact that one human cannot do all of this. No, we can't. Erin is amazing, but we all need to do it together. I mean, I think, yeah, you're totally right, Caitlin. This is a corporate objective. Hayden became our CEO, Hayden Brown, in the beginning of 2020 and has really centered the experience of being a high-performing, high-talent-density organization, which is stronger through its diversity, inclusion, and belonging practices. It's a corporate priority for us this year, and every executive team member is held accountable to that, um, as well as all the people leaders in our organization. And so it is treated the same way that we report out on, you know, core financial metrics or product metrics that we review. And that, um, you know, earlier I said that the HR team at Upwork is a business team. That's really true. And it's reemphasized not just by me saying that in our all hands, but by the way the company treats us and also by the the work and the mission that we're, you know, working as the world's work marketplace. We are an organization that's focused on people connecting and relationships to do the best work. And so that has helped us tremendously, too, because the people who work at Upwork um, in finance, in legal, in product and engineering are thinking about these things in in a similar way as well. Right. And I, I feel like that makes all the difference in the world. Something that I really appreciate about how you all are working is this commitment to open sourcing and, and building out loud um, or building in public. And, you know, for all of the things that I think and that I view externally, as I, I look at you all as, as incredible role models in the industry, is you also have shared that things aren't always great or things aren't, uh, things aren't always perfect. What are some of your current challenges or, or roadblocks or what are some of the things you're experiencing in your work that, that you wish you could shift or change or is frustrating to you? I think for us, our biggest challenge uh, that Aaron talked about before is time. There are so many different things that we want to do. We need to consistently push ourselves to prioritize and choose. And sometimes that's that's a big challenge when you're like, I really just want to do all three of these things. Aaron and I met earlier today and we we're talking through that. And there's a lot on the table that is awesome and exciting and we want to work on together. But you know, you have to pick, and that's that's the job of leadership. I think clarifying and and prioritizing continue to be so critical for us. And I think that if we can move that forward, other businesses benefit too. And Aaron was a big champion for the open sourcing. And I think that those kind of things pay dividends um, as our community grows. Absolutely. Yeah. Same answer. I was, (laughs) I was trying to find a a way to say this that wasn't redundant, but I'm just not, I'm not patient. And, (laughs) you know, I think what I struggle with and, and we actually, have a change management role on our dibs team for this reason is, yeah, change takes time, but obviously in the DEI space, it's been taking way too long. And at this pace, we're never going to get there, like even in our kids' lifetime, lifetimes. And I think we can all agree that's that's too slow. And so like, what is the right amount? And against the backdrop of COVID and no childcare, like what is the right amount of pressure and asks and requests and unlearning and relearning to put on people, I really don't know because this is my job and this is all I do all day, every day. 
And that's not true for everybody. And as much as we want it to be integrated, there is, again, that change curve that we have to respect, even if we want to speed it up. And so I think that is just always the calculus that I am trying to uh, figure out. And I don't figure it out alone. I mean, certainly we really reach out into the business and, and we build things and people come and we ask folks how much they can give, not to, you know, show up for a full day offsite every month because that's just like not reasonable. And so pragmatism is, you know, sort of my middle name. And I also just, I'm very angsty at night about like more, more, more. Why is it so hard? But it's so hard because like people are really complicated. And, um, you know, I like to deal with people in the macro sense. That's, that's really my discipline. But when you actually get to know individuals, we're all very messy and we're moving in different directions. And like, it's hard because it should be. So that wasn't super uh, scientific of an answer, but I just think it's hard to pace. It's hard to know, you know, what's healthy, what's aggressive, what's too much and, you know, what people can afford at any point in time. And I think, especially again, compounded by the pandemic, it's hard to gauge. Right. Well, I'll take a human answer over a scientific answer any day. Uh, so I appreciate it. All right, let's let's shift gears a little bit into the uniqueness that is Upwork. As far as I know, approximately three-fourths of your company's internal talent is comprised of freelancers from your, your very own work marketplace. And so my, my first reaction um, as, a, as an HR practitioner is, ooh, that feels like a lot to manage. <laughs> but this is also your business. So uh, talk to me, Zoe. How does tapping into this pool work in your favor? Yeah, in so many ways, Kaylin. I think um, Upwork, you know, has been a mostly remote work company for 20 plus years. And so we know that remote work works. And that's the advantage that our, our freelancers who are on the Upwork platform, but work back directly for us provide. They're around the world, you know, connecting and doing the work that they do best without yeah. the additional overhead of, all these meetings and all this different, you know, pieces of work that corporate and traditional roles tend to bring with them. And so it's impacted us in a, in a number of critical ways. One is diversity of thought is already like built into the work that we do because there are people from so many different backgrounds and places. The other is it really helps us from two key differentials in terms of skill and scale. So if there's a unique skill that I don't have on my HR team, like a beautiful PowerPoint, if I'm doing a, a conference yeah. thing or some very specific scientific research, I can go and find somebody on the platform who will help my team do that. And we don't have to figure out, well, what would they do for the rest of their time? Right. We wind it up and wind it down. And then in, the, in terms of scale, um, you know, an example I think of often around this one is when we have a hiring push, uh, which we're undergoing now, please look on our website, to uh, <laughs> bring in more awesome people to keep pushing our talent density even further. We need additional recruiters, additional sourcers, a different, additional right. schedulers. And we have a core team of people who do that and they're awesome, but we need more. So we can scale that up. And then as things calm down a little bit and the balance, right. you know, we kind of recalibrate, then they can go on and do that somewhere else. 
the other thing that you see when you work with people who are freelancing is that they're constantly refining their skills because they're working and they're mm -hmm. learning with different clients all the time. And so you get this incredible amount of insight and cutting edge thinking that pushes all of us to do better and really drive more results. You're setting my gears uh, in motion now as because it, it sounds like such a great efficiency hack. It's amazing. Yes. Now, Erin, I have a I have a important question that I want to ask you about your commitment to open sourcing. This is something that is incredibly near and dear to my heart. And anyone who has listened to this podcast or, or read any of, of my work, I think this is a very, very critical part of us shifting uh, the world of work and the way in which we engage with one another. And in particular, you have been at Upwork during uh, one of the most incredibly unexpected moments in recent history. And I think throughout the last year and a half, your voice has, has become one that executives just across industries have really come to rely on through through moments of, of very extreme shifts in our culture and, and being faced with challenges that the world of work and employers have not really had to address or they've chosen not to address in the past. Uh, you know, you you appeared and represented uh, yourself and Upwork as calm, firm, uh, but helpful. And I think that the way you've showcased your work has really set you apart from a lot of the chaos. And I think that people were seeking solutions and you provided those. And you you did that by sharing your work and by open sourcing the work that you all are doing at Upwork together. So I'm, I'm very curious to hear what inspired you to so willingly share those playbooks of yours. Sure. I think there's a, a personal answer and there's a professional answer. I mean, on the personal side, I am not calm. Like I am not a calm person. No one who's ever met me would ever call me <laughs> calm. Um, I'm getting better, but like, no. And, you know, I think in this work, sure, you can flex and like be calm in moments, but you, like, you should be impatient. You should be pushing and driving as we've talked about. So on the personal side, you know, for me, the writing you might see, you know, just like on Twitter or, you know, a contribution to an article in HBR or Fast Company, like that's for me. Like that's for me to figure out what am I doing how do I not only as a people person, but also just as a black mom during all of this, get some sense of certainty and control and, and try to kind of tussle through all of the same things everyone was struggling with. So so that was almost, you know, a version of therapy for me was to organize mm -hmm. my thoughts and try to, you know, to your point, be helpful in doing so. And then the professional explanation is this is something I've always wanted. You know, when I started at Upwork, we were having very early conversations around the right time to share data, the right time to share all the things that we were thinking about and doing. And for me, I wasn't super interested in doing that until I had settled in and like I had my arms around what we were doing and we had had some impact. Right. But then to your point, the world was moving fast. And even though will never be where we want to be because this is always moving and evolving. We knew we just couldn't waste the crisis. We couldn't waste the opportunity to right. say like, hey, we have done some things we're proud of. Hey, we're struggling with this. Hey, here's what we're trying and thinking about. Like the barometer for what felt risky just totally moved. And we were just like, it's now or never. My goodness, like what bigger pressure prompt yeah. than the world like <laughs> shutting down to just get out there and, you know, broadcast the things we've been doing for years, broadcast the new things that this function has been, you know, uncovering and trying to solve. 
and just take it from there. And, you know, I think a piece of that as well is accountability. Like I am a huge Mm -hmm. believer and fan of accountability and there's no walking back a public, not just statement, but a report on the state of anti-racism with data. We're in the hot seat now. And that's what I wanted. I wanted us to not be able to pull back later when we got, you know, maybe more scared or things got more challenging. So all, all of those reasons just made it right. And I'm glad because now that we've done it, it's like, okay, now what? How do we push ourselves further? Like, it wasn't right. that scary. It wasn't that hard. And, and right. we were honest and we needed it. Well, I know that the industry is better for it. I know that people are very, very uh, grateful for, for that, uh, that, that courage and for the support. So thank you for that. I'm going to jump into the rapid fire portion of the show. Don't overthink it. I promise it's more fun than it is scary. Are you ready? I think so. Erin, I'm going to start with you first. Zoom preference, virtual background or real background? Real, all day, every day. (laughs) Zoe, what item sitting on your desk in front of you right now sparks joy and why? Oh, I have a card from a friend of mine who did something like unexpected and wonderful out of nowhere for me and it moved me to tears. Oh, I love that. Erin, what is your favorite productivity hack these days? Saying no. <laughs> ah, <laughs> oh, my heart. <laughs> okay, those were the easy ones. Let's do a few more. These are going to be a little bit trickier. Zoe, company culture, family or sports team and why? Ugh, neither. We're not a family. <laughs> we're not a sports team. We're an organization that cares about our mission and is here to deliver results. Such a good answer. (laughs) Erin, one tactical thing that leaders or HR teams can do today to increase access and inclusion in the workplace. Ask your people what they need and believe them. Truth. Okay. This one's for the both of you. Zoe, you're up first. When was the last time you were deeply proud of something you have accomplished? Actually, yesterday, two members of my team did a presentation in a leadership forum um, that was the best we've ever had on this topic. Our CEO commented on it. And um, one of my direct reports has grown both of those women and they crushed it. And it just made me feel like this is the reason we do this work. I love that. Erin, same question. Mine's at home. I am really coming into mamahood and it's uh, ever evolving with my kids. And, you know, to Zoe's word tender, I, I find myself having tender moments weekly. So, you know, probably sometime this week, I am just touched by the relationship that I'm building with my boys. I really thought I was going to get through this episode without tearing up, but you got me. <laughs> All right. One last and final question for you before we wrap it up. What advice would each of you give to founders and people leaders out there trying to make sense of this particular moment in history? How can they use this as an opportunity to build a better organization into this next chapter? Aaron, we'll start with you. My advice is to find whatever you need to make yourself less afraid. Because if we're playing things safe and we're being as cautious as we've been in the past, then Again, we've learned nothing from the very bare bones of the last 18 months. And so, you know, if not, if not now, when? And if not you, you know, who? Which is a little trite, but like this is the moment. And I think it's passing us by as we start to reenter. So like yeah. seize it, claim it, sit with it, and, you know, really craft 
everything that didn't feel possible before, but I think we now have more of a runway to do than ever. I love that. And I agree. Zoe, final thoughts from you. My answer would be to get out of your own way, very similar to Aaron. I think about Kat Cole's hotshot rule, about if the very best person who could ever do your job came in tomorrow, what are the three things she or he or they would look around and be like, why haven't we done X, Y, and Z? We all have those things that we know we should do. And there's this voice in the back of our heads like, yeah, I can probably get that later. I just don't want to do that. Do those things. Do them tomorrow. Do them today. I love this. All right, team. That is a wrap. I want to thank you both so much there. I feel like we could talk for, for hours and hours and hours, but I know y'all have very important work to do. I am so grateful for your time, for what you are building, how you are putting it out into the world. Um, and I am so excited to watch how you continue to grow and evolve and push our industry and push the world of work into a place that is more inclusive. Thank you both very much for joining us. And we look forward to the work that you all continue to publish and put out there. So thank you. And please keep leading authentic. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us, Kaylin. Thanks so much for joining me on this week's episode of All Hands, brought to you by Lattice. I'm your host, Caitlin Holloway. This episode was produced by Lattice in partnership with Pond People, Rachel King, Madison Lesby, Samantha Gansick, and Mastering Done by Erica Huang. Learn more about how Lattice can help your business stay people-focused at Lattice.com or find us on Twitter at LatticeHQ. Don't forget to subscribe to All Hands wherever you get your podcasts. Join us next time.